Welcome to the Like Destiny podcast. Good. Well, Andy talked to us, sang to us about being amazing, didn't he, just a couple of minutes ago. So I'm just going to play a song which is called You're Amazing um, and just drink it in as, as it plays because this is what the Father thinks of us. Special one. 
That's the amazing truth, that God thinks each one of us is amazing. And, you know, he looks at us as being his children. And in these three days, I don't want to give you knowledge. You know, I don't, we've all got enough knowledge. But I want to lead us into an experience of knowing the love of God as a father. Um, there's a guy called Dr. Larry Crabb. Some of you may have heard of him. But he said this. He said, experiencing the love of God does not need a classroom lecture, but a long, hot bath. Um, because the love of the Father is something we experience rather than something we, we learn about. And um, you know, I want to, to lead us into that experience in the next few days, lead you into that experience. Because if we experience God the Father loving us, it changes everything. Um, you know, it changes our whole view of life. It changes who we are. It changes what we feel about ourselves. It changes what we think about him. And so, you know, I just want to ask you to open your hearts for these few days. Um, you know, when we talk about love, Love is something we experience in our hearts, isn't it? Um, you know, it's not something we experience in our minds. Our minds are really important. We need them. Um, and we need to use them in the right places and the right times. You know, if, if I'm having a major operation, I want my doctor to know what he's doing. <laughs> you know, I want my doctor to have all the best knowledge and the best skills. But when we're talking about love, we're talking about an experience that, that goes on in our hearts. Um, you know, I've, I've been, Fiona and I have been married for 30, over 30 years. And, you know, I love her in my heart. I don't love her in my mind. Um, you know, and when we experience the love of the Father, it's something that goes on in our hearts. And so just, I just want to ask you to open your hearts over the next few days. You know, put your mind in neutral, give your mind a rest, but let, let the Father speak words of love and words of life into your heart. Um, I became a Christian when I was 10 years old, um, which is a few years ago now. <laughs> and that was a very real experience for me. Um, I was on a, a sort of children's young people's summer holiday, which my aunt and uncle were leading. Um, I shouldn't have been there because it was for 11 to 14-year-olds. But because my aunt and uncle were leading it, I was able to, to get in. 
as a youngster. Um, and on the last night, um, the guy who was speaking, he was speaking a very, very simple picture. Um, but it was just the thing that made me become a Christian, if you like. But you know when you stand on a bridge over a railway line and you look down the railway tracks, it looks like they, they come together at some point in the future? Well, we all know that railway tracks don't come together. We know they, they stay parallel, don't we? But, you know, when you look for, from a bridge, it looks like they, they come together. And he said, you know, there are some people here who think that at some point your life will meet Jesus' life and it will all be all right. And he said, of course, that never happens. The tracks remain parallel. And he said, you have to get off your track and get onto Jesus' track. And as a 10-year-old boy, that was a very simple picture. I could understand it. And that's what I did. I got off my track and onto his track. Been there ever since. A few hiccups along the way. But um, you know, I knew when I made that decision that it was a decision I was making for the rest of my life. Um, and... Then that was in the August. Um, in the October of that year, uh, one morning my dad went off to work in his car and didn't come home because he had a car accident on the way to work and was killed. And uh, I remember we, I, I came home from school with my sister. Um, I was 10 and my sister was uh, 8. She just had her 8th birthday a week before. And... Um, we came home and there was a police car outside our house and there was a police lady sitting in the living room with my mum and my mum was had obviously been crying and you know this is not normal is it you know this is not normal for a 10 year old boy to come home from school and suddenly find your mum sitting next to a police lady and your mum's in tears so you know something's wrong you know you know you know the moment you walk in the door you think ah oh, something has changed now my older sister was at secondary school senior school so she came home about 20 minutes later than us and my mum said I'll tell you what's happened when your sister gets home from school <laughs> so that 20 minute wait was like a lifetime you know it's like oh because we knew something had happened um anyway you know my sister came home and then my mum told us and of course that changes everybody's life forever you know it changed my life forever it changed my sister's life changed my mum's life and you know in that one moment everything suddenly is is never the same again um and i'm just going to sort of fast through my my story fast forward through and just give you some of the highlights of my journey because you know it's 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 my story and it's different to all of your stories but we've all got our own story and I really believe that we can look back over our story and we can see where Father's been with us, even in times of difficulty, even in times of pain, even when things have been rough. We can look back and see that Father's been with us, even if we've been rebelling against him and doing our own thing. We can look back and say, well, actually, he was still with me in those times. And that gives us great comfort to know that his presence is always with us. And so, you know, the next few years were, were uh, interesting, as we say in England. Interesting has, an, has a meaning, doesn't it, in, in English? Like, it means a whole lot of different things, like interesting, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So the next few years for us as a family were very challenging, very difficult. Um, I was sent to boarding school at the age of 13. 
um, boys boarding school where I was for, for six years. Um, and a lot of boarding school life I enjoyed. A lot of it I hated. Um, I, I was in a dormitory of 14 boys, seven on one side of the room, seven on the other side of the room. Had a bed and then a little space with a cupboard at the end, and that was my personal space. And then the next guy and then the next guy. And so it was quite a rough life in a way. Um, there, was, there was no comfort. Um, there was not a lot of compassion. It was very much, you know, you've got to work hard. You've got to play hard. You've got to be good at sport. I hate sport. You've got to be good at sport to survive. If you were good at, support, at sport, everybody liked you. And um, I was never good at sport, and I'm still not good at sport. Um, I always knew what team I would be on when they were picking teams. They would get the two best people out to be the captains of the two teams. And they would pick their, you know, oh, I'll have you, I'll have you, and, you know, and they go around. I could just count, and I would know which team I would be on because I was always the last one to be picked. And no one wanted me on their team. And I don't blame them because I was rubbish. I was uh, an asset to the other team. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, and I just hated sport. And I've actually developed this theory about sport, which I'll share with you. It's, 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 um, it's been proved. But I really believe that sport is bad for you. And I've proved it because all my friends who do sport get injured. And I never get injured. And I don't do any sport. So sport is bad for you. So do you do sport? Yeah, it's bad for you. <laughs> you see, and, um, you know, I just wasn't any good at it. But um, at the end of leaving school, I, I, I threw myself into the life of our church and just loved, loved it. Um, I, I, I just loved to serve. I'd love to, you know, I'd cut the grass around the building. I'd put the chairs out do the kids' work, um, just anything that needed doing, I was, I was always doing it, loved it. And it wasn't like it was a burden. It was just a real joy to be able to do that sort of thing. But that became my identity. You know, after doing that for a few years, um, you know, I got my value and my identity from, from serving. And, you know, I didn't serve because I had to. I served because I wanted to. It was just a great um, pleasure to do it, anything, you know. Um, and then there was, a, there was a really significant young people's holiday when I was about 21. We went up to the Lake District, somewhere over here, and had a great time. Um, but just at the end of that time, one of the leaders came over to me and um, just knelt down on the floor in front of me in my, when I was sitting in my seat. And he looked me in the eyes and he said a sentence that changed my life. And what he said was this. He said, Mark, you've learned to be a servant, but God wants you to be a son. You've learned to be a servant, but God wants you to be a son. And that, you know, sometimes people say things to you and the words go right into your heart. And it's, it's almost like you can't help it because it's just like that, that arrow that goes straight into your heart. You can't stop it. You can't do anything about it. And those words were just like that. They were just like that arrow that went straight into my heart. And something inside of me changed. And I knew that God was my father. 
you know, I knew that I was his son. And, you know, something changed that day that serving stopped being the most important thing. But wanting to be God's son became what I wanted to do. Now, I didn't understand that. But, and I lived with this sort of tension for the next 20 years because I really knew that God was my father. And I really knew that I was his son. And from that moment, when I, you know, in the Lake District, my prayers changed and I started to call God Father. So whenever I was praying, it was like, Father. No one told me I had to do that. It was just something that happened in, in my heart. But I lived with this tension for 20 years because I really felt like that if God was my Father, then he was everybody else's father as well. But I wasn't seeing that lived out as an expression of church life. And it's like, come on, if, if God's my father, then he's your father. And why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we living in the experience of whatever this means? And it took 20 years until, um, until about um, 14 years ago, we went over to a conference in Toronto called The Father Loves You. And they had people like John and Carol Arnott and um, Peter Jackson and, you know, all that lot. And they had this couple from New Zealand who I'd never heard of called James and Denise Jordan. And James got up in the first session that he did in the conference and he spoke on what it means to live as a son. And I suddenly thought, this is it. This is what I've waited 20 years to discover. And suddenly everything made sense that um, it's actually possible for us to live in the experience of being loved. It's actually possible for us to live as sons and daughters. It's actually possible to know that God is being a father to us, each and every one of us, at this very moment. And, you know, 14 years ago, in, in May 2002, you know, everything changed for, for Fiona and I. It's like we took us, it's like we were walking in this direction and we suddenly turned around and decided to walk in completely the other direction. And that direction that we've been discovering ever since is the experience of God the Father loving us and living in that love. And that's why I, I really believe that this is an experience, that this is, not, um, this is not about gaining more head knowledge. This is not about gaining more understanding. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 11, you know, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. And we spend so long trying to become wise and learned, don't we? <laughs> And, you know, we, we think if we gain knowledge about God, we, we know him. Well, we don't. We know about him. And that's why I really believe we can be led into this experience of him loving us. And for each one of us to have a personal encounter with God as our father. Because that's who he is. And I want, just, just in this sort of session now, I just want to ask you a question. Um, and then just try and explain what I believe is the answer to that. 
But the question is, is at what point in time did God start being your father? What point in time did God become your father? Because a lot of people have, um, you know, a lot of different answers to that question. But I, I, I think that if we understand the true answer that we're shown through Scripture, it actually can change our understanding about ourselves. It can change what we think about ourselves. It can change, it can change our whole um, significance and self-worth. Because in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. And what Paul is saying there is that before the beginning of time, before the world was created, I, I call it the time before the time. You know, in the time before the clock started ticking, because um, the clock started ticking in Genesis chapter 1, didn't it? You know, in the beginning, God created the world. And then we have that amazing story of how this beautiful planet was created. But John's gospel, at the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God. And John is writing about this time before time. You know, before the clock started ticking, there was this incredible relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit living together in perfect unity, living together in perfect love, living together in just that amazing relationship that we call a trinity. And John says that's what it was like in the very, very beginning, you know, before Genesis chapter 1. The only thing that was there was this beautiful, intimate relationship. And then Paul picks up on that and says... In that time, you know, before the world was created, he chose each one of us. And that meant he thought about us. That meant he decided, you know, what color hair you would have, what color eyes you would have, where you would live, where you would be born, who your parents would be, what you would end up doing. You know, he, he, he knew every facet of our being before the creation of the world. And he chose us. Um, and then it says he chose us to be adopted to the sonship of Jesus. And that word adoption is, is a funny word. We'll look at it a little bit later on in, in the week. But one of the translations says that uh, instead of using the word adopted, it says that we have the full rights of sons. Because we think of adoption, don't we, as like you don't belong and a legal transaction happens, and then you do belong. But actually, a lot of adopted people that I've met, they, they feel like they don't belong. Even though they're part of that family, even though they're, they're treated just like the natural kids, something in their heart says, I don't belong. Um, but what Paul is, is writing about is, is actually each one of us receiving the full rights of sons. 
It's interesting, in Scotland, the law in Scotland about adoption is different to the law in England, in England and Wales. In Scotland, it says when you adopt someone into the family, they become as if they had been born into the family, which is very different to the sort of an outsider coming in and being part. It's like the law says it's as if you were born into the family. And it's just that much stronger sense of belonging. But, you know, here Paul is saying that before the beginning of time, God chose us and he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus. And that's always been in the Father's heart, is that each one of us would be drawn into the spirit of his son, Jesus. You know, it's, when you think back to the, the garden with Adam and Eve, um, you know, God, God's, we read, don't we, in Genesis 2, that God would walk with Adam and his wife in the cool of the evening in the garden. And it's like every day God came down out of heaven and walked in the garden and talked to Adam and, and, and Eve and said, how's your day been? What you been doing? You know, where have you been? What have you done? And like they had that moment of, intimate fellowship together and we don't know how long that lasts do we you know when we read genesis it's like god made man on the sixth day so that's like let's call it saturday and then sunday he had the day off and then monday it all went badly wrong <laughs> yeah because we read it you know very quickly and very chronologically but we have no idea whether it was weeks or months or years or thousands of years that Adam and Eve enjoyed that beautiful intimacy and relationship with their father. We, we simply have no idea how long that was, that was going on for. But, you know, we, we get this picture in Genesis of God the Father coming down into the garden and walking with with Adam and, and Eve and, and having that sort of relationship with them. And that was always his plan, to have that intimacy, to have that relationship, to enjoy them. And when, when we think about it, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. You know, I've got four kids. And I love spending time with my kids. Um, before we had children, we, we looked forward to the day that we would have children that we could enjoy, that we could have fun with, that we could be together with. And uh, now our eldest daughter is getting married in the summer. And I'm thinking, yes, <laughs> one day soon. Well, a little while. I might be a grandfather. <laughs> and I think, yes, that's, that's something to look forward to because at least you can give the kids back then. <laughs> Some of you may already have experienced that. But, you know, it's like, I'm looking forward to welcoming those grandchildren to the, to, to the earth and, and just being with them and having fun with them. And, you know, I think that was God's heart, that he wanted to enjoy the children he was going to have. He wanted to enjoy us. You know, we weren't an imposition on his, on his, on his plan. We were the, you know, he, it says in Isaiah that we were created for his glory. Because he wanted to enjoy being with us. And we kind of think, you know, and it did, it did go all badly wrong. 
you know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it, it all changed. And then, you know, we, we know the, the story throughout the Old Testament and we know what happened and we know how Jesus came. But this only dawned on me last week when I was looking at this, this, this again, is that actually in Jesus we have something greater than Adam had. Um, because in, with Adam and Eve, God came into the garden and walked with them in the cool of the day. But through our redemption, through Jesus, we are now actually in Christ. You know, we are in the Son of God. We, you know, you, whenever you read through Paul's letters, he's always talking about we're in Christ. We've got every spiritual blessing in, in Christ. We've been blessed in Christ. We've been this, that, and the other in Christ. And it's like, as far as the Father sees us, he sees us seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, and that is so much more than Adam and Eve enjoyed. You know, they just enjoyed him popping down every now and then and saying, hi, how's it going? How's it, you know, what are you doing? We actually enjoy that intimacy 100% of the time. We are in that, we are included within Christ. And, you know, our life is in Christ. And so the intimate relationship that Jesus enjoys with his Father, you and I can enjoy with the Father in exactly the same way. And that's so much more than the relationship that Adam in, got to enjoy in the garden. We've got, you know, and I, I was looking at it the other day thinking, wow. You know, the second best is better than the first best, if you like. <laughs> and I thought, this is, this is so good that we get to enjoy God all of the time. You know, he gets to enjoy us all of the time simply because we're his sons and daughters. And, uh, you know, it's just the more I look at this, the more it excites me. Because I see that he has drawn us into something that we really don't deserve. He has drawn us into something that we could never have imagined. And to live as a son and to live as a daughter is something way, way better than we can ever, ever imagine. And I feel like I'm just beginning to get to know what this is like. You know, it's, it's like 14 years ago, I, I, I heard James speak and I thought, this is it. This is what I want to give my life to. And six months later, I kind of listened to all of his, it was cassette tapes in those days, if you remember what those were, you know. And, you know, I'd listened to all of those. And six months later, I thought, yeah, I know it now. I know it now. I know all about the Father's love. I know I know I've got all the theory, I've got all the scriptures, I've got everything mapped out. And I thought, yes, I know it. And then I suddenly realized that I didn't have a clue. You know, I suddenly realized that this is way, way bigger than we can ever think of or ever imagine. Um, and that's when it dawned on me that it's nothing to do with knowledge, but it's about an experience. And if you experience love, you just want more. You know, I love my wife much more now than I did 30 years ago. 
you because know, draw, love draws you deeper. And you think of any relationship as time goes on, that it draws you deeper and deeper into it. Um, I've flown from New Zealand back to London. I've actually flown from London to New Zealand as well, but I, it's the journey back that strikes me. Because you take off from Auckland, and we flew from Auckland to Los Angeles and then Los Angeles to Heathrow. It's the 13-hour flight from Auckland to Los Angeles. And all you are doing is flying over the Pacific Ocean. It's just water all the way. And it really struck me, you know, that the hymn writer, here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. You know, that 13 hours of water, 13 hours of ocean is a lot of ocean. And of course, it goes on further than Los Angeles. It goes up Vancouver and then around Alaska and everything. You know, that's a lot of water. <laughs> that's a lot of, that's a lot. And, you know, when the hymn writer said, here is love vast as the ocean, he really understood the limitless nature of the love of the Father. He really understood how enormous the Father's love was. And I, I thought I knew it all, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And then I realized that I've only just, like, standing on the beach in Auckland and dipping my toe in this enormous ocean because it just stretches farther and further than we can ever imagine and you know the love of the father is limitless it goes on forever it never runs out um, and there's always enough for all of us and so I've just come to realize that as we experience the love of God as we experience him loving us as we live in that love it's an endless reservoir of love you know it, it's just um it really is amazing um and uh, you know when we we do one of the things we do in father heart ministries is we do a week-long school um we start on a sunday evening finish on a saturday i was doing one of those last week in poland which was great fun but what i tell people on the sunday night when we start the school is you have my permission to do two things that you don't normally hear about in church. One of them is you have my permission to be totally, totally greedy. You can take as much of the love of the Father as you want because he's got more than enough. And the second thing I tell people is you are free to be selfish. Just think about yourself and have as much as you can for yourself because the love of the Father is totally, totally limitless. And, you know, he wants to draw us into that experience of living in love. And, you know, I know Andy said at the beginning when he, he said, you know, I don't want to, he says, I don't want to belittle anything about the understanding you're going to get this week. And I'm thinking, I don't want you to get any understanding. <laughs> I want you to get an experience that changes your life forever. Because... I really believe that if we step into this love and we live in this love, Paul talks about being planted in love, being rooted and grounded in love, that if we step into that, that our lives, that the roots of our lives go down into love, it 
it changes everything. My friend James Jordan, he has a little picture that he often uses. And he, he says, so often in church life, we, it's like we collect different books. You know, we collect a book on spiritual warfare. And we collect a book on prayer. And we collect a book on youth ministry and children's ministry and worship and evangelism. And all the other very, very good activities of church life. All the things we... It's good for us to be involved with. He said they're just like books. And he says many, many people want the book of the Father's love. You know, they've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, they understand it. And it's just like another thing that we, we do. And that's the way a lot of people treat the Father's love. It's like, yep, yeah, I've done three days on the Father's love. Tick. You know, and... That's okay, you, you, you get an experience, you, you can, your heart can be changed, and that's fine. But the way James puts it, he says, actually, the Father's love is like the bookshelf upon which everything else sits. And I think if we make the Father's love the bookshelf of our lives, that everything else that we do, like our family, our children, our job, our church, you know, everything else that we do is, is sits on and is actually planted in the love of the Father. That becomes the source of, of everything we do. So that whether it's in our, in our work or, or in our family, the, it's energized, if you like, by the love of the Father. And it changes everything. And... You know, my encouragement in just these three days together is for you to become planted in love so that love becomes the source of your life, that love becomes the motivation of everything you do. And that will change your understanding about God. It will change your understanding about yourself. And it will actually lead you into a greater level of peace and rest. And if you come into freedom and rest then you come into freedom as well if we live in peace and and rest we live in freedom and i believe that's that's the goal for us as the sons and daughters romans 8 talks about the glorious freedom of the children of god and i think the glorious freedom of the children of god looks quite glorious it's got to hasn't it it's got to be something better than we've experienced and I look at my life, I look at the lives of other people, and I think, that's not what I would call glorious freedom. You know, that's not even glorious. It's not even freedom. <laughs> you know, and my longing for my, my life, my longing for my family's life, my, my longing for the, the people I talk to is that somehow we, we step into and we begin to live in the glorious freedom of the sons of God. Because that's got to be better than what a lot of us have experienced up to now. And that's the longing, if you like, of, of my heart, is to step into that. And, you know, Paul sets the scene for us by saying that we've, you know, the Father chose us before the beginning of time. So go back to my, my question. When did God begin to be your Father? At what point in time did he begin to be a father to each one of us? 
you know, we get a little glimpse of it there from, from what Paul's writing, that before the creation of the world, he chose us. You know, he was thinking about us. He wanted us. He wanted a family. He wanted us to enjoy relationship with him. And then we see a little bit more about this in, in Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, you know, Jeremiah writes a prophetic thing. You know, he writes what God is saying. And it says in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, some of us think, oh, that's, that's just God speaking to Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah was a nice guy. He was going to be this big, mighty prophet. And so, yeah, he had a special calling. So, you know, because he was part of God's big plan, you know, God must have thought of him before the beginning of time. You know, God must have thought of him before he was born. Yeah, and he probably thought of Isaiah as well, and he probably thought of Abraham, and probably thought of Moses, but he didn't think of me. Well, actually, he did. You know, he thought of each one of us before we were formed in the womb. You know, we were a twinkle in God's eye a long, long time before we were a twinkle in our parents' eye. You know, and many of us, come into this world thinking we're a mistake. You know, many of us think we weren't really wanted. Um, and that, that thought is a lie of the enemy, but it, it conditions the state of our heart. <laughs> Last year, um, well, two years ago, my, my youngest sister, um, who was three when my dad died, um, two years ago, she very sadly got divorced. Um, just a few months after her 25th wedding anniversary. But she, she and her husband separated, and they ended up getting divorced. And um, I was the first person she came to when, when that all blew up, which was really interesting because over the previous 25 years, we hardly had anything to do with her. You know, when she, she got married very young, she got married at the age of 19, and... She and her husband hardly had anything to do with the rest of the family for most of that time. Um, you know, when we saw each other, we, were, we got on well, but maybe we saw each other maybe once a year or twice a year. Um, and then, you know, one day I'm, I get this phone call. I, I was actually out racing sports cars around a racing track and having a lot of fun. <laughs> and my phone went in one of the brakes, and it was my sister, and she, she was obviously very upset. And she said, could she come and see me the next day, and could we go and see my mum together? And I said, what, what's the matter? You know? And she said, oh, I'll tell you tomorrow. And I said, well, I think it'd be nice to know now. <laughs> so she told me that she and her husband was, was separating and, and so on. But... Um, Anyway, over the, the last couple of years, it's like she and I have got to know each other again. And she, we, 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 we meet regularly, we talk regularly, and it's really, really been very, very good. But last year, um, she, she said, I don't know anything about our dad. She said, and I said, well, actually, I don't think I know much about him either. So... Me and my three sisters uh, last year, we, we sat down with my mum. We had an evening together. We got all the old photographs out of the loft, all the old little slides, you know, and borrowed a... We found someone who had a projector, put the slides in, and we, 
we went through all these pictures and my mum told us all about our family life as kids. She told us all about our dad, how they'd met, what she liked about him, what he liked about her. It was a really, really good evening. And halfway through the evening, um, my youngest sister, because there's two years between my oldest sister and me, and then there's two years between my, me and my next sister, and then there's five years between that sister and my youngest sister. And so my youngest sister said to my mum, she said, was I a mistake? <laughs> and my mum said, no, you weren't a mistake. Um, and Wendy said, well, did you want me? Was I in the plan? And um, my mum said, well, actually, you know, the truth is we thought that we were just going to have three children. But God's, God's plan was that we would have four children. And she said, the moment we found that we were having you, we really, really wanted you. And I thought that was very honest of, of my mum, to put it that way. Um, uh, and she, she really wanted to affirm that my younger sister was, was wanted. But, you know, the truth is many of us go through life thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a mistake. I wasn't wanted. Um, and particularly if, if people have been conceived through rape or, or, you know, a sort of a one-night stand or something, it's, it's like, you know, oh, I'm an accident. You know, nobody really wanted me. And that, that feeling of being an accident conditions what we think about ourselves. But Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So bef and that's true for him, but it's true for each one of us as well. That before we were a twinkle in our parents' eyes, you know, we were a twinkle in God's eyes. And he wanted each one of us. And he knew us. He knew us before we were formed in the womb. And David says the same thing in Psalm 139. He says, you know, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. So that's even before, you know, David was created in his mother's womb. He's saying, God, you knew me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And just as that's true for David, that's true for each one of us. That the Father wanted us, the Father chose us, the Father delights in us. And, you know, we, when we understand that, you know, the, if you like, that God was our real father before the beginning of time, before we were created in our mother's womb, you know, God was our father. God was our real father. If we understand that, we, we begin to understand that we are not a nobody, that we begin to understand that we are a somebody. We, we understand that we are worthy, not worthless. You know, we understand that we understand. I think it just gives us a much deeper security and affirmation of who we are as his children. You know, it's not like God took pity on us and thought, oh, these guys are making a mess of their lives. You know, I'll reach down and save them from disaster, you know. Which is what a lot of us think, you know, my life was heading towards a brick wall and God came in and 
did something. And, you know, that's how we think, but it's not like that. It's like, if God's always been our father, if God's our real father, if we've always been his children, then he hasn't rescued us from disaster. He's just redeemed us back into how it should have been. Because sin separated, didn't it? You know, sin caused... It's, the way I see it is like we're walking along with God and suddenly there's a big hedge that comes in the way. And God goes down one side of the hedge and we go down the other side of the hedge. And it's like this big, big hedge of sin has separated us from God the Father. But that doesn't change who he was. That doesn't change who he is. You know, he is the eternal father. He's always been father. He was the father before the beginning of time. You know, in, in the beginning before the beginning, he was father. And it's like this, this sin has separated us from him, which is, is very, very real. And, you know, most of us think in Genesis chapter 3 when, when, we walked out, when Adam and Eve walked out of the garden that God changed. Uh, but it wasn't God who changed. It was humanity that changed. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I am the Lord. I do not change. You know, so if, he's all, if he was father back then, he's still father. And it was humanity that changed because of our sin. And that sin separated us. But there came a time when Jesus became the way for us to come through that hedge of sin. Like there was a doorway. You know, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus became like this gate in this big hedge of sin that we could come back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. We call it being born again when we step through that gate. And that's what Paul talks about. We then step into being in Christ. We step into Christ. And it's like that's, our, that's what redemption is all about. Redemption, the word redemption means to buy back something that was originally yours. So, you know, you know a, a pawn shop. You know, if, you, if you're a bit short of money, you can go into a pawn shop and you can say, I've got this nice watch. Um, I'm short of cash. Will you give me, I don't know, 100 quid? So the guy gives you 100 quid and he takes your watch and he gives you a little ticket. And he says, if you come back in a month's time, you can have your watch back, but it won't cost you 100 quid. It will cost you 200 quid. And you go, okay, deal. And so in a month's time, you've got the 200 quid and you go to the pawn shop and you say, here's my ticket. I'd like my watch back. And you pay the 200 pounds. Now, what you're doing is you are buying back something that was already yours. You know, you're not buying, you're not going into a shop and think, oh, that's a nice watch. I'll buy that new. You know, it's not like you see it on the shelf. It's something that is yours that you've lost or you've given up, but you buy it back. And that's what redemption means. That's what Jesus did, that he brought us back. We belong to the Father, but we got lost along the way. And Jesus says, I will go and buy them back for you. 
And redemption is buying back something that belongs to us that we've lost. And we have to go and, and pay for again. You know, it's like you pay for it twice. <laughs> you buy it the first time, then you buy it back. And that's, that's what Jesus did. He just restored us back to the Father. You see, it's, it's, God was always Father. God was always wanting that relationship with us as sons and daughters. But it was the heart of humanity that wandered off. And through Jesus, we get to come back. We get to come back home. We get to come back to that place where we really belong. And, you know, the question is, when did God start to be your father? See, some of us think he, he became my father when I was born again. That's understandable. But, you know, Scripture tells us that he was our father from way back in the beginning of time. You know, and, and, and there's a verse in Acts chapter um, 17 where Paul described it this way. He said, we were his offspring, um, which is probably a good way of looking at it. You know, we were his offspring. He, he chose us. He wanted us. But we were born into a world of sin. And then we wandered off on our own way. And through Jesus, we're redeemed back into that relationship. And we become and can live as sons and daughters you know when we're born again i really believe we become sons and daughters but many of us continue to live as as if we're not you know it's like we continue to live as if we're slaves or orphans and we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow but when we're born again john says in john chapter 1 verse 12 to all those who believe they are given the right to become children of god and it's like he's saying, this is your right. But he leaves it with us as a choice. Do we want to take up the choice? Because he's given us free will. And free will is probably the greatest gift that we have. Because we have to be able to choose to love him. Because love is not love unless there's a choice. You know, if, 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 if I tell you, you must love your wife and make it a law, or you must love your husband, or you must love your children. That's not love. That's just obedience to a law. But true love always has the freedom to choose. And so God says, if you believe, if you put your trust in me, you have the right to become children of God. And he wants us to take up that right and live as his sons and daughters in the same way as Jesus was a son. You know, we, we have... Um, many misconceptions about what a father is, is really like. Um, I, was, uh, I do this sort of thing half of my time, um, so I'm part-time with this, but I've also got a, a business which is 